Matthews, thanks for doing this, mate. It's, it's, I really appreciate you being here with us. Hello there. Um, great to be with you. Um, yeah. It's such a lovely, blindingly hot day. It's, uh... <laughs> Pick the worst day to do this. It's absolutely roasting and we're both sat inside, but, but never mind. But I appreciate it all the same. Absolutely, mate. No, no, it's great. It's great. It's kind of you. So, look, the obvious place to start with yourself. Where did it all begin? What was the, where? Did, you know, your love of drums and your talent for playing drums. How did that all come about? I think it came from a combination of my dad ran a, ran a band, um, and like a social club band that he would like do like literally Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes Thursdays as well. Um, and he had a little band, and so um, yeah, I think I think his well, he, his mate who was a drummer in his band, who he knew from school, used to babysit me when they would go. And he would take my mum out, um, and he would bring a pair of drumsticks, and I think that must have been an, an inspiration. But also, I can remember watching television and, and watching what I presumably must have been old Top of the Pops and Grey Whistle Test, old Grey Whistle Test and stuff, and watching these big shiny drum kits. And because it was the 70s, yeah, he had these guys with massive hair and big like sideburns on these silver sparkle drum kits, all shaking. Because that was like, you know, Hendrix was going on and, and, and Deep Purple and everything. These guys were, were cracking into drum kits, which were the, all the hardware, as you know, were all designed for big band drummers and jazzers to play on. And they never really worked out chunky hardware. <laughs> And actually, that was part of the drama for me, I think. Wait for <laughs> some <so>, couple. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, and I think basically, um, uh, by the time I was four, my dad had given up trying to maybe learn the piano <laughs> and um, gave up <laughs> to me really wanting to play the drums. And um, he uh, tried all the drum teachers of Bristol, all the established guys, and no one was interested in taking on a four-year-old. Um, but I used to hear this drumming emanating from a house around the corner when he used to go around the corner to see his mate in the next road. And um, so one day you thought, well, last ditch, I'll knock on the door. And this gentleman uh, opened the door and, and agreed to take on a four-year-old. Turned out that guy was uh, Mike Honwood, and um, he was the drummer for the Brotherhood of Man, ah. who were massive in those yeah, days of course, of course. and of course when I was a kid I still remember going in and seeing bits of uh well you know bits of gear in cases like drums and, and flight cases with with stickers on and all that stuff and wow you know so it just so happened that um you know by chance you know there was an incredible like an international class session player you just never know it <laughs> no so that was quite a good start I think. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So then, how did it how did it go on from there? Obviously, because you know, four, four is an incredibly young age to be. I know yeah. if, if somebody asked me for a lesson, a four year old, you know, I'd, I'd be like, "Well, can they reach the pedals for a start?" It's quite a major thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think basically what Mike's uh, um, uh, strategy with me was um, ten minute drum lesson, and then ten minutes like downstairs again uh, in the lounge. Some milk and biscuits, watching Saturday morning telly. Because it used to be a Saturday morning, we'd go around there. It used to be like Cowboys and Indians or Batman or something beyond. And then, come on then, let's go back in again. And another, another 10 minutes. You know, just slowly show me bits. Mm. Um, and then, actually, I remember, I actually still got childhood memories. So I was five when I went to infant school. 
So it must have been about a year, 18, within the year, 18 months. Um, I can remember being on the, on the, in the corner of the classroom, they had the big carpet for the, you know, that we all sit on for story time and that, all cross-legged and we do the show and tell thing. And I remember showing the kids, you know, um, my peers with a pair of brushes going, and so I, I must have learned quite a bit within that time. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he, he started, he just showed me um, how to read, showed me, taught me about the rudiments, always told me um, it's all about confidence and feel. Um, I always remember him saying that. And, um, and actually, he, I mean, he got me on, I was still very, very young. I mean, I got, I, I still got upstairs, the Jack Parnell book. Mm-hmm. So Jack Parnell, for anyone who doesn't know, was a, was a really quite a, a big, I think in the 50s, I think, a big, uh, famous British big band drummer. I think he had his own band as well. And uh, it was like him and Ronnie Varel, they're all big names in, in the British sort of scene. Um, Eric Delaney is another one. Um, and was that that guy, Kenny Clare? Is that the yeah. other one? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that era. So Jack Parnell brought out a book. Uh, on jazz independence and looking back through it the principles of it are very much based on the Ted Reed syncopation book yes bit like what the, um, that guy Ramsey Alan Ramsey had written in his book about the, the tales and the anecdotes of his lessons with with Alan Dawson which was all based on that syncopation book um, so yes yeah, so I must have had lessons with him up until I was about nine or something but when I was seven I'd been learning for a few years and my dad's, one of my dad's drummers was, was ill one day and, and he had no option. Um, and so he looked at me, he said, you're coming with me. And he slung all the drums in the back of the car. And we went down to the, a pub called The Globe in Wells, as in Wells, as in Wells Cathedral, you yes. know, yes. City of Wells. And um, I did my first gig. I got paid a fiver and I got showered in Coke and I just, you know, just, crisps everywhere and uh that was my first paid public gig and that's kind of where it all started really that's pretty full on for a youngster that isn't it you know was that would yeah, that, that have been a reading gig as well Ian? no that was just been just playing with my dad yeah, yeah. And, you know i could play my tango i knew my argentinian tango i knew me uh i knew me foxtrot and my quick step and um what's the other one mayfair quick step <laughs> which is a bit quicker than the quick step yeah and then you've got, got your velita uh, which is basically a fast valse, and then you've got your valse. Um, you know, bossa nova, a light samba, you know, stuff for a kid. And uh, I, but I knew all these all these rhythms, you know, like you, you just sit there and just do it, you know. Oh, the rumba, which is kind of a bolero as well, yeah, whatever, yeah. sounds uh, or a beginning. I think. I think those rhythms were so common in those days because although pop music and cool music and cool culture and counterculture and all this kind of stuff ex- existed on record then, but, but social club culture, real working class, up and down the land culture was those dances, sequence, yeah. they kind of call it sequence dancing. Yes. Um, and so, you know, um, if you knew those, if you know those rhythms, then you, yeah, you could work. Yes, and and with that with that stuff, they're really um, the, the 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 tempos have got to be 
solid, haven't they? The, the dancers don't like it if there's any. You know, yes. After it's too slow, yes. it's got to be on the money, hasn't it? With those, I know. Of, uh, yeah. But there's no worrying about. Oh my God! Right, left, left, kick. Right, left, right, kick. Left, left, right, kick. Left, 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 left. Oh my God! I've been working on that for days and days. It's not, none of that kind of thing. No. You never bothered by that. You know, you needed to know your your rudiments because they were building blocks to expression on the drum kit. Yeah. But all that kind of noodlery, oh, my God, I need to learn a linear rhythm. <gasps> you know, it's like, nah, come on. Where's your bolero? <laughs> can, you, can you make that dance floor move? Can you sway out a beautiful waltz yeah. in time, watching your dancers, watching that they don't rush? And that was what I learned as young as seven years old. That was, that was important, more important than, than some, some triple sulco around a drum kit and some <laughs> linear phrasing, hitting like rights and lefts and all that, you know? <laughs> it wasn't about that, if you know what I mean. You've so had the best grounding thing... ever, haven't you? You really have. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh. I mean, obviously, the linear pattern, triple triple kick pattern, I don't know, hi-hats with foot happening here and there and everywhere, came later, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, it, it, you know, rudiments, reading, um, your dances, and, and basic jazz independence, so you're able to express underneath the quick step mm -hmm. you know as the music flowed and that that was that was what was fundamental back then i think really for most british drummers you know absolutely so do you you mentioned reading do you um are you obviously glad you learned to read i mean i know i i read and, and all my gigs are reading gigs but you, you perhaps don't use it as much these days i guess uh so i, I guess with some of the jazz stuff you, you possibly get some charts but do you think it's important still for, for youngsters to learn to read well, I mean, you no, know, I, I think it's, of course it's important because it's like, it's our language, you mm. know. It's, um, one person is able to communicate to another what, what they want to happen, you know. Um, and so because of being able to read, there's fundamental stages in reading, you know. All right, knowing, understanding the logic of the mathematics of notation and where it appears on the stave according to which limb I've got to move, which isn't rocket science, is actually simpler than what people, I think, sometimes think it is, um, enables me to, to open a book or a magazine, like a rhythm magazine or an old modern drum I got upstairs and have a look at, at some tricky little exercises or if I really want to plow into some uh, a musical genre. So, for instance, say I want to like really check out some some Latin rhythms. I, I need to really remind myself. Yes, I can listen to to Latin music, but I can I can open up a, a book on the history of it, and there there is notation. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Then there's a the next thing where um, I can go and do a theatre show because I now understand the coda system and I understand repeats. And I understand, you know, that, that the groove will be written there. And, and then I'm going to go through, repeat this, and there'll be a fill here. And then obviously I need to know song form. We all need to know song form, whether we understand music or not. Sorry, read music or not. You know, even if you're like a self-taught person and you want to play with a band, you need to know, you know, your, your, your form. Chorus, you know, uh, intro, verse, chorus, double verse, chorus, middle eight bridges solo sections double choruses and out outros and stuff do you know what i mean absolutely yes yeah so we all need to know that and that that's obviously outlined on on 
on the page as well, you know. So that means that as, as a drummer, I was able to experience so many different things as a youngster. Um, uh, I was able to go out and start rehearsing and playing with big bands and playing with, ad- I was 13 playing with adult jazz musicians around Bristol and stuff, including Akabilk and people like that, you oh, know. Wow. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I never toured with Akabilk, but I was able to play with him at the old Duke when I was, you know, when I was a kid, when he happened to be back from tour and got up with his mates, the Blue Notes, and play. Um, you know, and I, I've done seven years, leading up to the Kasabian years, I did seven years of panto at the Theatre Royal in Bath. Yeah. Well, that would pay my mortgage off every year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, I'd get the music. And, of course, it's difficult, you know, and you have to focus. But it, it opened the gates to that work. Of course. I've, do, I've done panto as well, and it's, I find it's tricky because you've, as well as having your, your, your own music, you generally have to have a script as well for any other business and, and what have you, and it's, yeah. it's a lot of concentrating, isn't it, for a panto show? Well, if you want to, if you want to kind of, uh, like for me, I got to about 19 and I'd gone through school and I'd been playing all these bands and doing wedding gigs and all sorts of stuff and theatre shows and all sorts of things. I had a real thing going on with a certain sort of, you know, I had a certain thing going on with, with Bristol and a network of kinds with, with the older generation of jazzers and stuff and the people who would do like theatre stuff, Amdram stuff, all sorts of things. Um, and I went through school. I didn't really take much notice to school, really. And I came out at the other end and I did a bunch of jobs and things until I was about 19. And then I realised, maybe 19, 20, then I realised that actually um, I had nothing to offer the sort of conventional workplace. Um, but however, I've been sat on this this skill that I'd cultivated all my life and actually I was able to get paid for mm-hmm. and it didn't take much maths to realise a couple of wedding gigs was pretty much what I was getting paid all week for being yelled at by Paula, who was ahead of my section, my <laughs> section manager. You know what I mean? Yeah. She t- disliked to me, you know, and I had to walk into that every nine o'clock every morning on the dot, you know. Like, so I used my drumming to emancipate myself from conventional work life, got my head right into it. But, but because I was able to, to read, and I, I, I could always pick up a few quid somewhere when that phone went and go, yeah, I'll do it. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Um, but at the same time, some, some people have, believe there's a myth that being able to read or learning to read somehow strips them of their creativity. Have you heard that one? I have, and uh, I don't believe it, I'll be honest. Uh, if you're confident reading, I think you can, you can add whatever flavours you want if you're, if you're happy and comfortable reading. That's what I believe. I've never heard so much <clears throat> yeah, rubbish in my life because at the same time, the reading allows you to to perform with with amongst others with direction, yeah. but at the same time, you know, away from the reading thing, you know, I was also learning. I was playing with hip hop, um, rock, um, African, all sorts of di- different sort of projects within Bristol, um, using just ears alone. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So totally, it, it's not like a you know, it's not an exclusivity thing. You can you can use both sides of your mind, you know. Absolutely. So. No, that's that's fantastic. Well, can we skip forward a couple of years? Can we st- t- talk about how the Kasabian thing started? Obviously, which is the thing that you're really known for. Um, you yeah. Know, 
What a band to be pigeonholing. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. I so. Yeah, um, the, the, the Kasabian thing came up because um, they they formed in '95, um, and um, they were, you know, obviously from Leicester, and they were bouncing about the rehearsal rooms up there and doing the Charlotte gigs at the Charlotte, which is like in Bristol we got Louisiana. You know, it's one of those places where the bands do, you know, local band nights and free bands on and kit sharing and all that stuff kind of red stripe between five people and all that, you know, if they were lucky. <laughs> and um, and then Serge discovered uh, the Atari ST, uh, which changed their sound from just being a band in the room. They were able to, like, dial in this kind of, like, sort of dance, sort of hip-hop elements as well and stuff, you know, um, which gave them the, the, the edge, they felt. And so they went for it. And they found a manager, a guy who was able to do some dodgy dealing and get fundraise to get them into a development stage and um so they they start they fell in love they, they, well, they were in love with bristol the idea of bristol get out of leicester which is you know where they're from you know leicester's boring that's where you know they've done that's where they are that's where they live you know let's go somewhere interesting to to record so they they picked bristol because of the bristol sound because we've had porter's head ronnie size tricky massive attack you know all that yeah. That Bristol Sound sort of thing that that had been massive in the nine only in the nineties, you know. So they started coming down here, and the, the drummer at the time decided it was all getting too serious, and um, was like, turned around to them and said, like, "I got a good job, I got a beautiful partner, and I, this is just getting too much." So we left the band. Um, he'd already been to Bristol and did one or two sessions, I believe. So. They looked at Matt, the engineer who owned the studio, and was like, oh, um, yes, we've got no drummer anymore. <laughs> and Matt was like, I know the guy for you. <laughs> so he rang me up and uh, he said, I've got a band that I think will suit you here. They need a drummer. There's like 100 quid in it. Do you want to come and do a few tunes? <laughs> so all right then. Um, so I got booked in, um, and the night before I fell down the stairs, I was bringing my little daughter down. I got a Victorian house with little Victorian stairs, and I had her by the little arms, you know, I was like leading her down. <clears throat> and I twisted my ankle at the bottom of the stairs, ballooned out. I was that close to not going in, <laughs> you know what I mean? That close. But I limped in the next day, and um, they were all sat there on the sofa in the studio, and it was in the basement of this like under the shop and they're like the first thing they said to me was uh do you want to draw hand in then mate <laughs> <Andy> <laughs> with you. And, and so actually um so i did the demos and then they I, I did a couple of sessions for them actually and they they seemed just delight i mean they were delighted with what i did mm-hmm. and actually part of the the trick was that I was a seasoned pro by that point. I mean, this is 2001. Yeah. And of course, I've got like jazz, big band, panto, military, orchestral under my belt. Also, hip hop, rock, oh God, all sorts of stuff that I'd done with all these different projects around the town, you know, and jazz and everything. So actually, Kasabian's drumming, um, from the word go wasn't a flat out drum kit in a room here we go rock beat number one thank you it's all there's so much um even then you know there's so much like breakbeat stuff 
when you're doing breakbeat stuff, you're dipping into different ter style territories. Yeah. You know, it can be very jazzy or it can be very funk or funk jazz, or it can be quite hip hoppy, which is kind of funky jazz, mm -hmm. or it can be quite rocking as well, which is taken from the rock thing. Sometimes, even back in the day when we did like Butcher Blues off the first album was one of, I think, one of the first tunes we did. I'm literally tickling the drum kit like I'm doing an old, like, you know, going back back in the day when I used to play for the music for dancing, <laughs> you know. So that's what really excited Serge particularly, that he felt like he could throw me anything and I could throw it back at him, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so the next year, 2002, they got signed and I was busy playing, I was in my mate's band, Ilya, which was signed to Virgin. Um, and I was also going to Paris a lot over there to play with a guy called Jeffrey Oriema, who unfortunately passed away last year. Um, and that was doing like West African sort of style stuff fused with sort of, you know, like Western, you know, it's like an African Western music fusion thing. That sounds like a fun um, gig. <laughs> it was really nice. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, and, um, and then, so I couldn't really get to involve Xavier. And they wanted me to get involved, but I had a kid and a mortgage in Bristol as well on top of that. And I had teaching and all sorts of things going on. It's like, boys, I can't, but I will come and record. We can work something out with you, with the record company and I'll come up and stay with you on long weekends or whatever. And you can, I can do stuff. Which, so I used to go up to their farm that they hired in, in Leicester and record. So we'd do, we'd do things like Clubfoot and stuff and carry on building the album. But I got really busy and they got really busy and Serge used a few other guys on a few different things. And then they went through the, the mixing and mastering. And I think basically, you know, that was kind of it. 2002, I didn't think, I don't think I really heard from them through 2003. Um, until 2004, Easter, and the manager rang me up, slightly panicked, going, oh, we've got no drummer. They've been through a few guys. They got they got on the road late two thousand three. Yeah, um, in a maestro and a metro, all the gear full, <laughs> and that's how they went around the, the motorway network, playing the dog and dark in wherever, getting on that signed band, just starting to gig, you know, scene. Yeah, um, and they got through a few drummers that way. The last drummer before me, I, 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 I um, apparently, quote unquote, was said, screw this, I'm going back to Halfords. <laughs> <laughs> Worst move ever. <clears throat> so, so um, but this, they got a break. They had a break and they had two weeks with a band called the Von Bondies from Detroit and they had a tour bus. And so they rang me because I'm 10 years older, but I, I, I basically recorded most of that album, or at least half that album anyway. Yes. And, and I happened to be free, moved a few gigs around. I had no teaching because it was Easter holidays. And went out and we had an absolute ball for a couple of weeks. It was brilliant. And, um, and then we came back and Serge rang me a few days later and said, well, it's your gig, mate. You want it? We're touring now. We can get to all support. You know, we can hopefully pretty much replace all your other incomes and earnings. If you just come with us, 18 months, you know, see an album, you know, you never know in this business, but we've got an album. We're going to go on a tour. We're going to go for it. <laughs> and it was a difficult decision, but because obviously family and everything, but I went for it because it would be an, an adventure. Get me out of Bristol. 
absolutely and um and then it turned into it you yeah. see what a monster <laughs> but let me just get back to that drummer so the drummer who who had a partner and was like this is getting too serious um he wasn't, wasn't a bad drummer actually he was all right he was all right he's pretty capable it turned out he was grade eight piano that was what he was all about was piano. Right. okay so I think it was 2006, or it might have been seven. Um, the se- I definitely think it was the second album. It might have been 2006. The boys turned around to me and said, look, um, we need a keyboard player in this band. And uh, we were thinking of our mate, Ben. <laughs> and so, so Ben's come back. Ever since then, it's been the keyboard player. Fabulous. That's superb. <laughs> That's a great story, that. What a great story. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you should have been doing a huge show in Leicester. Is it last weekend? Would it have been or last Saturday? Yes, oh. my birthday actually. Oh, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. We did it. A few, we did it back in 2014 on my birthday. Right. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, the, the, it, <laughs> I think it's become tradition. But somehow, uh, Serge managed to custard pie me with my birthday cake after we came off from the gig. <laughs> so looking forward to the custard pie tradition of in that which is now in Kasabian of wow. the birthday cake to the head. Um yeah, it's a real shame because, you know, um massive show. The last time I played with those boys was twenty eighteen. Yeah. October twenty eighteen, you know, and I just it's so when I'm back off tour, I'm, I so look forward to playing with my mates, doing blues gigs and funk thing, you know, the funk thing or, or like jazz stuff, because it's so different to Kasabian. It's such an antidote to to touring with with a, with, with a group like that for a few years. Yeah, playing those big stages or, or the adventure with it, you know, playing that sort of music. And then when I come back, it's such a refreshing change to to have a, a complete change of expression. And, and all the challenges and disciplines that come with that, all the listening you have to do, you know. Um, but I was so ready to get on a stage and re-experience such a unique feeling as doing a gig like that. I can't do you know what I mean? Yeah, I it, is, it is quite incredible, mm. you know, where you've got a drum kit set up with like a thumper, so you've got just the right amount of talk back from your kick drum, you know. Um, in ears, you know, with like proper, like nicely done stereo, uh, not a dodgy mono, like whatever, like proper <laughs> stereo mix from your from your guy there who's looking at you, making sure you got it right, you know, and, and um, having a big kit, 24, 30, 16, 18 snare, you know, 20, 18, 19 crashes, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is, and then just being there, seeing that crowd, and then feeling the power of the drums going through that PA system. There's no feeling like it, there. is there? I'd imagine, I'd, I'd, you know. Uh, well, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because once, when, when, I, when you're in that, when you're inside that bubble, it becomes part of the, your day-to-day, it becomes that's what you do. And I don't, don't hang on a minute. I never become complacent and bored of it, by the way, but it becomes a thing you do. Yeah. So then after a while, uh, the idea of, Walking into a room to about forty people in absolute silence and getting on a, drum, a little jazz kit in such silence that you can actually hear the skin on the drumsticks and you can actually hear your foot go on the foot pedal. That's 
just as daunting. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> and then clicking a and clicking a bandit. Get not off you go, you know. But that the the, the complete opposite, which is that side of stage with the steps going up to, to the stage, and then the lights go, and then you get that like mushroom of of crowd noise goes. Wow, that sound. Oh. And uh, honestly, you know, um, the, every time it gets us, we all look at each other and go, <laughs> and, then you, and then, and then, and then, you know, the lights come down. You can see the, the the smoke machines are on, and then you know there'll be some kind of intro tune, some kind of thing, dramatic thing that's being played, which we have a um, like a, a countdown. And it's like, all right, I'm about to go up these stairs, but it feels just the same as being on a plane with the parachute. About <laughs> <back> to go. <laughs> wow, I just. You, you know what I mean? It's like that moment, and and you know, I miss that. I miss that. So. Will it will it be rescheduled? Do you think, or is it is it will it be next time now? And that's that the the, the big show. <clears throat> next time now. Yeah. Next time, now, I mean, we don't know what's going on with with any of our gigs. We, you know, from like duos, you know, to in a pub garden, mm-hmm. to that kind of scene. Yeah. Um, we're all, all of us musicians are in it in it, in it together. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm I don't know. I'm hoping I'm hoping maybe there'll be a way of squeezing something out before Christmas. Yeah, I'd love to go back to the old Duke in town and, and bang out a set, a blue set or a, something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Put the drums in the back of the car and drive them somewhere and stick <laughs> them up, play them, you know? They are lovely. Because I mean, this the practice thing is really hard if there's nothing to practice for. Yes. Isn't it? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and, like... I don't know. I'm, I'm right now. I'm, I mean, like we were chatting before this. This we aired this, you know, but we're not on air. But you know, my mountain biking has become really important to me because I feel the difference in my body and I feel fitter, and you know, it's given me like, like immediate, like um, uh, adrenaline and stuff. And and the drums, it's becoming harder and harder by day to like go up there and, and be inspired. To, push myself and to try and keep my technique on top and stuff yeah no i can understand. And playing playing with others is everything i think it is that's what music's about isn't it at the end of the day and and if you can't it's uh it's pretty miserable isn't it let's be honest but uh yeah no yeah but well you just got to keep going and uh that's why i'm doing these is to try and try and keep the interest in 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 uh, drums music in general and j- just keep everyone happy and uh, it's nice to get some insight yeah. so now, Absolutely. Speaking of drums, you're involved with an incredible, uh, and I mean incredible. I, I, I can't, you know, rate this company high enough. British Drum Company. How did that yes. one come about? Um, so, uh, because thanks, thanks to the Kasabian connection, now um, uh, I started to get asked to do things in the drumming community. Um, you know, like clinics and things which was very weird to start with because, well, I know I'm doing great here, but, you know, I feel as if I should be in the audience watching, not being the one on the stage going, well, this is what I do, <laughs> you know? Um, 
anyway, so I got into doing a little bit of that and I landed up at the, at the Freddie G Academy. And in, in the crowd was a chap who um, was very good friends with Davy Dowell, a guy called Alan was in this crowd. And he knew Davy Dowell up in Falkirk. That's right. Yeah, he used to organize that. And um, so I was recommended for the Scottish Drum Fair. So Dave brought me up to do, uh, to do a, a turn up there. And as it turns out, you, everyone goes to Falkirk, obviously, and Dave just books out this hotel there that we all stay in. And um, all of us, all the drummers, all the uh, exhibitors, um, all the arrangers, you know, anyone to do with the organisation of it, we're all in the one place. And um, a friend of Dave's was his chap, Keith, who at the time was... Uh, Still working at Premier as their main designer, mm -hmm. and although Premier didn't have any anything going on with the uh, the actual festival in, in any way, um, Keith just thought he'll come up, go and see his mate Dave, and um, just check out the drummers and check out the scene and have a sniff about and, mm -hmm. and have a weekend away, you know. So great. So um, I did my turn, um, which I find always find really really scary, you know. Um, and so I did my turn and then did the pat down afterwards, the festival finished, we all went back to the bar and um, I met Keith, I was introduced to Keith there and as it turned out, me, it was like a, a spark, just a spark, you know, like a romance, a bromance. <laughs> a bromance. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that bar was, well, you know, Scott, good old Scotland, that bar was 24-hour, basically. <laughs> that bar was open until the last man fell, you know. And me, I, met, I recall me and Keith eventually going up the Wooden Hill at six in the morning. <laughs> I, I know you two like a beer. I, I've got first-hand experience <laughs> of that. <laughs> so, um, so friendship was made. And actually, you know, I, I kept up with Keith because I found it fascinating. You know, I was a drummer, but he was a drum builder, and we were just chat drums and drum building and drum playing and everything and it was hilarious you know it was it was we just having such fun hey my chat about everything as well you know but that was like the thing so um I would, if i was in manchester passing or whatever i'd give him a call go mate because he lived in obviously keep lives in manchester he's like mate i'm in manchester do you want, i'm doing a gig do you want to come to the gig or mate i'm in manchester i'm passing through if you want to go and get a bite to eat or something like that you know and I, eventually i'd just go and stay at keith's for a weekend go out there you know and um, uh, the premier thing, you know, came to its end. Um, and um, actually, Keith found himself, you know, dropped on his own. Um, and Al Murray, uh, who's famous, in, you know, for the, being the pub landlord, um, had been working with Keith on a, on a bespoke drum kit for himself some time before. And they'd become friends. And said, Keith, you cannot stop building shells. You can't now bugger off and go make kitchens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, you're too good for this. You know, so um, let's let's make a company. Just keep you building shells. Uh, let's keep building drums. So um, I got to know Al through the Ents business. You know, um, well enough to have his number on my phone and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. and um, but I don't think neither of the three of us realised we knew each other. If you see what I mean. Um, so Keith and I'll put the company together and, um, and Keith turned around to Al and said, well, on the drum kit, sort of like ambassador in the drum kits and all the rest of it, I want me and Matthews. And I was like, yeah, yeah great. 
Zoe was brought into the company then at the beginning as a founder. And um, yeah, it, it, and it's it's been an amazing, an amazing journey. That incredible. Yes, it, 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 I've done a factory visit. I'm lucky. I've been, and I've seen in the attention to detail. Every, yes. it's, it's incredible. It really is. Um, it works. Well, I mean, there's, there isn't some superb brands, as we know. I mean, I've been playing drums since the 70s, you know, and I've, I've been a named drummer for a couple of brands and stuff, you know, and I, I've, I've, I've been through my, my, um, I still do have a little, you know, kind of thing for vintage kits and stuff. And I've got some nice do. vintage kit here. One there. <laughs> I got a nice, um, I got a nice 1938 Radio King hidden away here, okay. <laughs> you know, Lovely. 20, 26 inch bass drum and all that. Um, so, but you know, like ultimately Keith is too bloody good at building drum shells. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, what the, the, I mean, the amazing thing about Keith is he, he learned from the ground up making shells by hand, not buying shells in, uh, as it were, um, making his own bloody shells, um, having his own shop that he built up with Pete Salisbury in Manchester, KD Drums, yeah. which um, the, the business was ruined one, one, one time. He, it's a story for him to tell, but his business was ruined um, thanks to a faulty alarm system and flooded his building out. Sprinkler system and stuff ruined his business. Um, Premier then brought him in. They saw, you know, like, hey, you know, I heard your business gone, right, you come in and design drums, which gave him then the, he'd gone from the ground up entrepreneur into an international class company and then learned what, what that took, you know, um, from an international company into his own back to himself. But in this time, he wasn't going to do the one man band entrepreneur thing. He was going to now spread his wings and, 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 and be part of a family of people yeah. to create this new big brand. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been fascinating watching the growth of it and stuff. You mentioned family, and it, it, you get that kind of impression. It's a fam- It feels like a family um, vibe almost when you when you go there. You know, everyone's very friendly. Yeah. Everyone gets on. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, you don't get the production line feeling if you see what I mean. Well, no, I mean you know, although in a way they're exercising that. You know, they, they're being very disciplined workers and they're doing mm. their thing. They are all skilled craftsmen. Mm. and they all get that respect in our com- in our company that everyone has a part to play in the company um which is really quite special you know i mean it's very cool and the thing is is like i i don't know i know we're still very young i mean the company we're, we're a baby brand you know we, we we came about in 2015 you know and literally that first drum show london drum show in 2015 in november you know the drum kits with the, the guys that just got the, our little factory at the time set up and the kit that I unearthed, which was an executive, alone, uh, a legend executive that I tuned up, you know, was still smelt the glue. It was still wet, <laughs> you know. Um, so it was all very much like, ah, we've got to get this right. We've got to get everything. All right, London Drum Show, right, is, is the target, you know. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the drums, the drums and are as good as anything on the market mm. today. Um, maybe the only difference is sharp instruction um, or, you know, whether you, whether you want a steam bent shell, that's the only difference. As mm. far as it comes, bearing edges, the recipe in the shell, 
um, the beautiful Palladium lugs, or the uh, on the both on the lounge version or the single lugs on the Legends, um, are is second to none. We've created a product which can stand next to any of the bloody drum kits out there in the world. Yeah, totally. and and you know you can. And I've, I've this is the thing because I was that active drummer, I've been able to take these drum kits and snare drums into recording studios, both to do demos or whatever, or, or film stuff with people that, you know, booked me or with Kasabian. And I've been able to go back to Keith uh, with any any downsides I might have felt, which are very few in between, mm-hmm. and any upsides or any new ideas I might have. You know, like, for instance, me and Keith cooked up the idea for the, the Big Softy. Mm. It's called the Big Softy because that was my nickname for it. <laughs> And Keith was so enamoured by the nickname. He was like, oh, yeah, it's a great name. We maybe just call it the Big Softy. <laughs> and now the Big Softy is, you know what I mean? It's a beautiful drum, um, by the way. Well, it was, it, it, it was basically Keith's design based on me asking him if he could do a nice fat snare drum for the studio, like a real nice mid, mid to low, which re went, that sound, you know, which did it easily. And um, he's like, Ian, I've got that. I've got, I've had this idea for ages. Keith's always had these ideas for ages. He's an ideas machine. And he came back to me, he sent it to me. The, I still got the original prototype here. And uh, yeah, big, deep, fat, chewy sound, literally, you know. So, um, so yeah, there was a real kind of, uh, still is a real collaboration between drum maker and drummer, mm. you know, and, and the different things that, I come up against as a pro drummer and, you know, others, you know, other people now who are in, you know, on our endorsement rosters, they're also coming in with different ideas and, and bits and pieces, you know, like with Nico now, you know, coming in and going, I've never had a steel snare drum before. Can you get me one? Can you make me one? And I want it to be like this. And then we discovered a, um, there's a metalworks shop around the corner from us who specialise in spinning. Ah. And they make they make all sorts of like lamps, anything, anything which is, and it's quite incredible to watch spinning happen. And like a snare drum starts off as a big disc, and it gets put on this axle, which goes like um, goes around at such a high speed that they put a chop down and they get a bar, and then they just it's like clay. Right. They just start manipulate it, so it, so it starts off flat, and you've got this axle. And then you've got like, say like this, this shape thing and it, and it'll go be spinning and it'll gradually go to create the cylinder. It's amazing. That's Absolutely incredible. So. It's almost like a, re- a reverse lathe kind of affair then really, I suppose. Yeah. In yeah. That's actually forming the whole thing. Um, you know, proper British made steel snare drum. It's you totally, know, seam- totally seamless then. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Starts off as a big disc, you know. Um, so yeah, so incredible. So, so yeah, we're now getting all these new influences coming in from the different people who play our, our instruments, asking for different things to, you know, um, you're doing your own hardware as well now. Yes. Well, this is it. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're growing, uh, the first few years we were in this little three and a half thousand square foot facility. Uh, now we moved, um, on Hague Avenue now to our 10,000 foot facility square foot facility with with like 14 people working in there now and stuff you know we've, we've grown uh we've got the lounge the legend the imp which is an amazing kit which 
a shell recipe that, that Keith's been working on for years and years, you know. Um, it's not just a simple maple kit made in small sizes. He's thought about it, you know. Um, and um, so we're gradually completing the portfolio. Rome wasn't, you know, it wasn't Rome. You know, yeah, in a day, yeah, Rome wasn't built in a day. Or <laughs> <laughs> even a week. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, taking time. Yeah. Hardware is the, the latest thing. Um, and um, we've gone in, obviously, with um, the, the, the more heavier hardware uh, for now because that suits everyone. Yeah. Including our own Dorsey's, our touring drummers and everything, you know. Um, so, yeah, we're gradually getting there. There's some more exciting things coming out of, of our way. There's some, some, some amazing bits of kit that are going to be coming out to the, the drumming community at some point. Um, Keith is always sort of like working on stuff, you know. Um, and there's so much, I'm so surprised how, how many things haven't been done, you know, and so, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's really exciting. It really is. I, you know, um, people get sick of me banging on about British drum company, but I was so impressed from the day I went and it's like, you've got to see these things, you know, they just, they're, in, they're, in, and they really are. Um, well, you've got to hear them as well. Yeah. And to play them, you know, the, I, I think like. Legend and Lounge, you know, they're, they're, they're both, they've got this, they've both got this beauty that combines the best of like vintage and the best of modern mm. together. Yeah. And from what I've discovered, like you can play a uh, Lounge or Legend floor tom at Pianissimo and the sound still resonates through the drum. You can still hear it going boom, yeah. as opposed to punk. You know, and some modern built drums, for some reason, can drop off under piano. Mm. Under, when I say piano, to some that might mean under a certain kind of quietness. Yeah. You get left with the sound of a stick hitting a little plastic head, as opposed to the drum still having something to say. Mm. And for me, I love that that our our big lounge and legend floor toms can still speak at pianissimo and i think that's an incredible thing it says an awful lot doesn't it it really does well look ian um thank you very much for taking the time to join us um i'm sure everyone's going to well, enjoy this interview well thanks thanks for having me on mate it's brilliant it's so see you again and um of course you did the clinic for us back in october now can you believe uh, hello it was my birthday actually wasn't it when uh, yeah that's right yeah when that's we did right. that that was that was fa that was fantastic and you, you looked after us guys so well it was brilliant and you know it was a great crowd there and everything it we, was had, really we, had, we had nearly 140 in for that one which is for north wales is pretty good <laughs> I, I was quite pleased with that one quietly smug i think we'll say for that one so uh, <laughs> I think they liked my glassery story. I think didn't they? oh, they, they it was it was incredible, and you know, and and talking of the generosity, uh, uh, you know, of Keith, um, I'd asked for I always ask for a raffle prize. I said, can I have a T-shirt or a bag of your coffee or just something, you know? And, and I don't charge for the raffle, but I think it was Mel that popped down and he said, oh, you're not having a T-shirt. I thought, oh, oh uh, you, can have a, you can have a Maverick snare instead. And, and <laughs> What an act of generosity, you know, a £600 snare. Um, yeah. Well, a young, a young lad, young lad won it and it was, a, it was a great night and the drums sounded incredible. They really did. As you play. That's the thing. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, that is a snare drum that was flat pieces of wood once and then either Duncan or one of the lads who do the, the shell building made that 
wood, made that sorry, made the ply for that shell section by section by section, like all the other drums. You know, it's it's as special that that Maverick snare as any other drum that comes at that factory. So. Amazing. I hope it was a, yeah, it was a young lad who got it, wasn't it? It was, yes. Uh, you had your picture taken with him. Um, That's Reece, right. His name was, yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, what a perfect place for that drum to go as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, hope he's, I hope he's enjoying it now. So. I think he's probably enjoying it more than his neighbours are, but uh, yeah, we're not bothered <laughs> about that. Look, Ian, thanks for giving up the time. It's boiling hot. I don't know if it is. I'm sure it's equally as warm wherever you are, but uh, thanks again for taking the time. I really do appreciate no it. Problem. Hope you no get, problem. Hope you get gigging. Uh, ASAP and we'll do it all again. And both of us, both of us, mate. <laughs>